Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Yeah, that's how it goes in the church, right? It's good to see everybody again. A lot of familiar faces. Um, it's great to be back in this area. It's fun to get to hang out with Christians you don't get to see on a weekly basis. So I appreciate you all allowing me and my wife to be here. My name's Austin. For those of you who don't know, my wife's name is Brienne. And she is holding inside her womb our 25-week-old son, Jarrett Oliver. So that's pretty exciting, right? Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen for a son, please? Come on, guys. Help me out. Well, the summer series I heard has been going very well. And for those of you who don't know me, I want to start out with just a couple of stories, a couple of pictures, and it's already up there. All right. You know, I have been told over the years that I look like a couple people, and the same individuals keep popping up. And for a select few in this audience, you may have heard of a little group called the Jonas Brothers. Yeah, like six people are laughing. You six understand. That's not what I want to be compared to all the time. Probably the hair. I don't know. When my fro was bigger and the, the day goes longer, I, I pick it out. It gets bigger and bigger. So we got Austin and Kevin Jonas up there. Then I'm compared to somebody else. This particular individual is somebody that I don't all the time want to be compared to. Yeah, uh-huh. Cover your mouth and laugh. I get it. We were getting our dish network hooked up at our house and this guy was working for an hour, two hours, three hours. I'm, I'm with him the whole time. I'm going to be there with him, talking, helping him out and stuff. And so we're talking, and he's almost finished, and he goes, Do you mind if I say something to you? I'm like, no, you can say anything you want. I don't care. He goes, You remind me of somebody. And, and Brianne's like, oh, I know who it's going to be. I'm like, Oh, great. Here we go again. Who do I remind you of? He goes, some preacher, have you ever heard of, Brian goes, Joel Osteen? I was like, oh, there it is again. I don't know. Some people say we look alike. I don't think we have a lot of traits similar to each other outside of the wonderful looking Maybe it's the big smile. I think that's what gets it. Joel sometimes has this ridiculous smile on his face. He looks goofy and foolish a lot of times. He's just up there, you know? And sometimes I do the same. I'll admit it. I love smiling. I tell and have told so many people that smiling is one of my favorite, favorite characteristics of an individual. If you're a smiler, I'm going to like you. Because I'm going to smile right there with you. I'm going to enjoy life with you. I think it shows how much an individual loves life. If they can smile a lot. And tonight, I'm excited about this topic because I love being happy. I absolutely love it. I'm not the only one. There have been others in the world who love to be happy. And go ahead and click to that next slide. I don't know if this fits very well with this crowd. A Mr. Pharrell Williams, I'm not going to endorse everything he does, but man, this song hit the nail on the head. I'm definitely not going to sing it. No one ever wants to hear me do that. Because I'm happy, clap along if... You feel like a room without a roof. Right, guys? Is that how you feel? Super popular song on the radio. It's in movies. It's on commercials. Why? Because it's a great message about being happy. Our world needs that. He made millions because he tapped into something that everybody needs. 
a message of joy and happiness. Well, I don't think Pharrell Williams has cornered the market on happiness. As a matter of fact, I don't think Pharrell Williams or anybody in our media has cornered the market or even created joy. I think it started somewhere else. I think it started with someone else. There's a proverb. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. I'm going to read that. I think that's telling of true joy. True happiness. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13 and verse 18. Your translations may say something like, blessed is the one. I've looked at a lot of translations, and they say different things. They all mean about the same thing, and that is this. Happy is the man, or happy is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. That's how you get to be happy. And then verse 18. You can see on the PowerPoint slide. Happy is everyone who retains her. Now what's her? Wisdom. Understanding. And that's our goal tonight. Our goal tonight is to be happy at the end. And so I don't want to speak too long. I don't want to be too boring because I'm supposed to bring joy, right? So stick with me for just a few minutes. I think we're going to be filled tonight. And that's our topic. Our goal tonight is to be filled with the fullness of God. And once we are filled with the fullness of God, we can be happy in our lives. This idea of being filled. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. That's going to be our base text for the night. Be happy. Perfectly filled. I've got a video I want to show. So go ahead and click that video and we'll get it rolling. We all look for happiness in life. We try to do good works. We seek for pleasure. But no matter how hard we try, we still feel empty. God is the only one who can satisfy us. God pours mercy on us. He pours His grace on us. He fills us with the Spirit. You see, God lavishes us with blessings. He washes us. He saves us. He gives us a life overflowing with peace and joy to others. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Titus 3, 4-6. through Did you see the source of happiness? I hope you caught it. We are all seeking joy in life. And we do a lot of things and we go a lot of places. But our cups are empty. The only place to find true joy, the only way to be truly happy, is living a life filled with the fullness of God. Ephesians 3 and verse 19. So it's our goal tonight to forget the world. Forget everything that the world is telling us about happiness and how to attain it. Because I'm going to tell you, it will not work. It's not out there. It's in here. And it's from God. 
We must start paying more attention to God. We must start being filled with His fullness because then and only then will true happiness be present in our lives. Okay, you're in Ephesians chapter 3, I hope. And as Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, specifically verses 14 down to verse 19, if you look at verse 19, it's the end of the paragraph. At least it is in my Bible. It's the end of the thought. In my opinion, I believe Paul wrote this text in a way to tell the Christians, this is the end result. This is the goal. Listen to me up here and about all these things and you'll end up being filled with the fullness of God. You'll end up happy. So how do we get there? How do we figure out how to be filled with the fullness of God? In order to find out, I think we need to see the full picture. And so I'm not going to look at just one verse. We're going to look at a lot of verses. I want us to see it from all different angles. I want us to see the text from a ton of different vantage points. Speaking of, has anybody ever seen the movie Vantage Point? couple? Okay, if you haven't, I'm not here to endorse the movie or say that it's a must-see movie, but I am going to say this. This movie does something really well. There's a crime that's happened. And so there's a criminal investigation that takes place. And in the movie, if you haven't seen it, what happens is they show the story from all different angles. Six different angles to be exact. And that's why they have the circle up there with all the different characters. Because that investigation is viewed from this person's point of view. Then over here, it's looked at from this point of view. And then you walk over here and they tell the story from this point of view. And so by the end of the movie, you've seen all these different perspectives and it gives you such a complete picture of the story, you can't help but be sucked into it. And so as we look at Ephesians 3 tonight, what my goal is, is to view the text from three different vantage points, from three different angles, because my belief is when we view this text from all the available angles, we will have such a complete picture of the fullness of our God that we cannot help but be sucked into it. And then we're going to find true joy. And I hope you're excited about that because I am. When I was reading this text, I saw it in a way I've never seen it before. And so I hope you stay with me. I believe... That as we view the story of God unfolding in this text, we're going to find ourselves being completely amazed. Not just amazed, but completely filled. And I hope you want to be full tonight. Let's start with the first vantage point. That's God's vantage point. In this text of Ephesians 3 and the whole letter at large, I believe God had a vantage point. And I want us to try and put ourselves and see ourselves looking from God's perspective to see what He saw as Paul was writing in Ephesians. I think this is God's vantage point. I'm not perfect and I don't know God entirely, but here's Austin's idea of what God saw. Number one, God saw an eternal plan. God saw an eternal plan, and I know that partially because Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3-10. through 10. And in that text, if you have your Bibles open, you can either look up on the PowerPoint to see it. You see what it says, starting in verse 4. Even as He chose us, God chose us, in Him. When? Before the foundations of the world. Before creation even existed, God had already chosen His people. How? Adoption as sons. He predestined us, verse 5. 
for adoption through Jesus according to the purpose of whose will? His will. God saw an eternal plan that He was working out in His world. And I love that. He saw His plan, and it was a mystery at first, His will was. And then verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time, here's what God wanted to happen. He wanted to unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. And so as we try and sit here from God's high perspective, I can't get big enough or high enough. God, before creation, said, I'm going to have a plan. Because I'm going to have a people who need a Savior. And in this plan, my Son will come and save this people from the sin that they chose in breaking a relationship with me. And I can't help but see this text from God's vantage point. He, ha- he saw an eternal plan. He also saw His Son as a part of that plan. God his, saw His Son, and I put it in parentheses, this word reconciliation. In seeing His Son, He saw reconciliation that would be made possible. What is that? It simply means this. If we break up, We need to reconcile. When man chose sin, man chose to separate from God. And so man needed a Savior. God saw His Son, the one to bring reconciliation to the world, the one who could make a relationship whole again. God saw His church, thirdly. God saw His church through which His wise plan would be proclaimed in all the world. I want you to see it in the text. Don't just believe Austin, but believe what God has said through His servant Paul. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's writing to these Christians at Ephesus, and he's writing about this eternal plan that God had. God had This eternal plan that Jesus made possible in the world. And then Paul says, in Ephesians 3 verses 8 through 12, To me, Paul says, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery for ages, hidden for ages in God, who created all things. Catch this. So through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He, God, has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God saw His church. And as He looked down to His church, He said, you will be the people proclaiming the plan that I've had before the beginning of time. God's vantage point was great. His eternal plan was wonderful. Isn't it great when plans work out? You know, I don't have a whole lot of experience with that. I've never been known as the planner. That goes to my wonderful wife. And I'm grateful to God that He put her in my life. One time, I thought I had everything planned out well. It was VBS 2014. A VBS I'll never forget. Because I was in charge of the planning and all the decorations, and it was going to be great. Me and an intern, we got together. We were doing it. We were working. We were completing our plan. And at the end of the plan, we were actually going to go to his apartment and play video games for an hour, hour and a half, because we got this. VBS is set. The plan is perfect. Well, she comes to the building about two, three hours before VBS starts, and she goes, so tell me about it. I was like, oh, okay. 
listen to this plan. You know, I'm ready for it. I said, we got this and this and this. She goes, all right. Um, Did you think about this? (laughs) No. Okay. So did you think about this? (sighs) No. What about that? No. Man, my plan's terrible. We didn't get to play video games. We didn't get to go anywhere. We had to work for the next three hours because my plan failed. God's plan won't fail. His eternal plan that he viewed before the foundations of the world that came to fruition through Jesus and the sacrifice and the resurrection that happened in his life of which the church is proclaiming on a daily basis. That's the plan to bring salvation to all people for all time. That's it. And that's the vantage point I see from God's eyes. And I hope you see it. From His eyes, He wants you to be saved. He wants your next door neighbor to be saved. And He wants you to proclaim that message to your neighbor. He wants your coworker to be saved. And He wants you to proclaim that message to your coworker. He wants all people to be saved. And He wants His church to be proclaiming that message of salvation that Jesus brought into the world. Man, isn't that great? Seeing it from God's vantage point? Well, let's don't look alone only at God's vantage point. Let's see another vantage point that's in the text. I think this is another fun one to look at. The second one is Paul's vantage point. As Paul was writing this letter, I want us to be aware of what was going on in the background. Because in the context of this passage, we really can find some good stuff. In Acts chapter 19, Paul goes into the town of Ephesus. And when he goes into the town of Ephesus, he's preaching and he's proclaiming that message of salvation. Well, guess what happened? People didn't like it. As a matter of fact, Some people in that world, in that town, gathered together Paul's traveling companions, took them into a stadium, and for two hours, the Bible says, people cried out and screamed, Great is Artemis, some other god, some pagan god that they worshipped. They're basically saying, Your god is nothing. Here's a great statue of Artemis. He was screamed, yelled, beaten, and kicked out of town. Because he was proclaiming a message about Jesus. And that town was Ephesus. And so when he's riding to the Christians at Ephesus, that's some of the background that we miss if we just start reading from Ephesians chapter 3. That's the context to which Paul is writing the Christians. And so here's what Paul saw, in my opinion. He saw a people that desperately needed to hear a message of salvation. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of who? You, Gentiles. If you're familiar with the first century at all, there was a conflict that was devastating. The Jews were God's former chosen people. But after the resurrection of Christ, Galatians 3, 23-27, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, slave nor free, male nor female, we're all one in Christ. Well, in the first century, that's not how it was viewed. Imagine this. Back in 1822, I'll pick a year, 1822, what if we walk down to Atlanta, Georgia, and we talk about There should be no more slavery. As a matter of fact, uh, all races are equal. What would our country have thought 
back in the 1800s about that. Wouldn't have been good, would it? It was the truth. And it continues to be the truth today. Just like back in the first century when Paul was writing a message that Jew or Greek, Gentile, it doesn't matter pagan, it doesn't matter what your background is, all people are one in Christ and all people deserve a message of salvation. People in Ephesus were like, whoa, 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 whoa. This isn't right. But it was. And it continues to be to this day. Paul saw a people that desperately needed a message of salvation. I can read verse 3. He says, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. And then verse 6. This mystery, which he's writing about, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. Paul saw people that needed to hear about salvation. Secondly, Paul saw his Savior who made a promise through the Gospel. Right there in verse 6. How can all people be saved? In Jesus. Through what? The Gospel. The good news. Paul, thirdly, he saw his God strengthening Christians. From Paul's vantage point, he's looking at a people that need salvation. He sees a Savior who makes it possible. And then finally, he sees a God that established a plan for all people to reach that salvation. Look with me, starting in verse 14. Paul says about that God that he's seeing. For this reason, the salvation that's possible to everybody, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Paul saw a God strengthening Christians in a time where they were being brutally tortured, killed, because of their faith. Talk about a message they needed to hear. One that would bring some sort of joy to their life. Keep going. How does Paul say that God strengthens Christians? Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength, strength that comes from God, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to, the, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What's at the very end? That you may be filled with the fullness of God. You see how we just got there? Paul saw God who sent a son to preach and to create a message of salvation for all people. We've looked at God's vantage point, And from God's big and high vantage point, He had this plan from all time to save His people. And now we've just gone down here and we've looked at Paul's vantage point. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He says, you need saving. You need a Lord and a Savior. I've got one for you. His name's Jesus. Man, what a vantage point. I see us right here, sitting where Paul sat, speaking as Paul spoke, looking at people that need salvation. Let's go to that final vantage point over here. We've looked at God. We've, we've looked at Paul's vantage point. Now let's sit right over here and see the first century church. I think this is an interesting one. Seeing what the church in Ephesus saw 
Hearing what they heard as Paul's letter was being read to them out loud, I think they saw three things. First off, I think the church saw a prisoner for Christ. Paul says in Ephesians chapter, one, chapter 3, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you. I put myself in jail for you. My dad has always said that if it ever becomes illegal to preach on anything in Scripture, that next Sunday he's going to stand up before the congregation with the elders behind him and preach exactly what the Bible says. He was talking to me just a couple months ago about the homosexuality thing. It's popular in our culture right now. He said, Austin, if it becomes hate speech to preach against it, he said, I'm going to walk up to the pulpit, I'm going to open up my Bible and just read Right here, just read it. He said, police officers are probably going to walk in that door, put handcuffs around my wrist and take me to prison. But he said, I will stand with the truth. And you know who else did that? Paul. And as the church over here was reading that letter, I can't imagine that they could only see Paul in chains because of the fact that he was willing to stand up for God and the truth that God has put into his life. They saw a prisoner for Christ. And I bet they were so motivated by it. What else did they see? I believe that the church not only saw a prisoner, but they saw the Savior who opened the door for salvation. Ephesians 3, verse 6. I've read it several times and I'm not going to read it again. Through Christ and the promise that He made in the Gospel. The church, they saw God, and I love this one. Not just a God who sits high up on a hill, as the first century pagan world would say, but they saw a God who was seeking them out. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, as the Ephesian Christians, whatever church they were part of, as they were sitting here hearing that letter, put yourself in their shoes as they heard this. After Paul has said all these things about Jesus, salvation, we're all one in Christ. Christ opened the door of salvation. Here's what they heard, starting in verse 11 and going through verse 12. This was according to the eternal purpose that He, God, has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. They saw God who had a plan from the beginning of time. You remember God's vantage point? I'm going to send a son to be a savior for a sick and dying world. And they were sitting down here saying, that that God is seeking me out. That God wants me to believe in Him. What I love about our God is that He doesn't sit back and let us run some rat race with no end in sight. Our God is a God who is seeking out those who would believe in Him and commit their lives to Him. And I believe that the church, when they read this letter, I believe they saw that. Isn't it great to see this text from all these different vantage points? I think we get a full and complete picture of what this really means when we're able to view the text from all these different vantage points. So what? What now? What's the big deal? We've talked, we've read Scripture, I've said a whole lot of words, you've sat for a really long time. So what? Here's what. I hope we get to see the full picture. That God, 
from before time began, established a plan through which people like Paul would preach and proclaim because Jesus made it possible for all people to be saved. Something that would just blow the minds of first century individuals. Something that continues to blow minds today. And the church has always been in God's plan to be proclaiming that message to all the world. A message of salvation, of peace, of hope, and tonight, of happiness. And that's us. Tonight, we get to be filled with the fullness of God. Seeing it from all these different perspectives, I hope your heart has been filled with the love that God has for you because He's always been seeking you out from before the beginning of time. If we allow ourselves to become perfectly filled with the fullness of God, what's going to happen? I believe two things. I believe that we will become motivated to glorify God in our lives. You know one guy who was motivated to glorify God in his life? Paul. He was so filled with the fullness of God. Listen to the words that he wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. You may be familiar with them already. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. That's an individual who has been filled with the fullness of God. And if we ourselves become filled with the fullness of God, we will not be able to contain the love and the words in which we glorify God with. That means not just in the church building, but tomorrow and the next day and this weekend that we will come forth with words and worship and wonder about our God who is filling us. We're going to be motivated to glorify that God. And if we're filled with the fullness of God, we will be motivated to live for that God. Continue reading in Ephesians 4, verses 1-3. through I've never connected it like this. After we've seen the big picture of God, watch what happens to our lives. Paul says to the Christians, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness and peace, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If we allow ourselves to become tonight, not with mess from the world, not with garbage that people say will fill you, but with the message of God, we will be motivated to live for Him on a day-to-day and moment-to-moment basis. Thank you. Thank you very much.